0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. What I would like to talk about is uh, is something that isn't uh, talked about a great deal, a way of talking about uh, the Four Noble Truths. So we're all pretty used to the Buddha, the, the formulation that the Buddha used about the Four Noble Truths, that there's suffering. There's the cause of suffering, there's a possibility of ending suffering, and there's the path for ending suffering. But that's not the only way he talked about it. Um, he, had another, he had another way of talking about this. And uh, the reason I want to talk about it is it's, it's an unusual way of talking about it. You can read the same thing. But this might be a way of looking at conditions a little differently. So so we're going to talk about gratification, danger, and escape. Gratification, danger, and escape. A a deepening of the way we look at the world. So it's really about a new way of seeing. It's about a different way of seeing. We, as human beings, are pretty used to noticing what we like. You know, this, this is pleasant. I'm very gratified that I got here on time. This is a pleasant experience for me. This is great. I'm really happy that that happened. Now, as a consequence of that happiness, I might decide that I have supernatural powers of getting here despite anything. That it was meant to be. I could form all kinds of constructs around this source of happiness. And we do that. We do that. Now, there's a tendency when we talk about being careful about things that make us happy, we right away go to, Okay, you're going to talk to me about renunciation. I have to give up the things I like. I was raised Catholic, and the period that we're currently in in the Catholic calendar would be called Lent. And a feature of Lent was that you gave things up. You gave up, and I actually don't remember what all the things were, but there was a notion of sacrifice, and that this sacrifice would bring you merit in one form or another. So I'm not talking about sacrifice here. This isn't what we're going to give up. Why should we give up what makes us happy? Something makes us happy. This is a good thing. This is pleasant. I may have to turn off my passcode thing here on my iPad. Every time it goes off, it wants me to put in a passcode. It's going to slow me down. Okay, so the the drawback in what gives us pleasure is what we then do as a consequence of this pleasure. So it's, it's gratification we're talking about where we become enthralled with the pleasure. Right? So we're used to thinking of the first noble truth is there is suffering in the world and that suffering is caused by craving. And we right away talk, we, we start thinking about craving as the problem. What we're going to talk about today is the role of gratification. That is, not the craving, but the pleasure itself is a dangerous thing. Just the pleasure. I'm not telling you not to have pleasure. Okay, so let's, let's see what we can find out about this. So, there are kind of two aspects to gratification. One is that it brings us pleasure, and we want more of it. But also, there are ways that we cope in the world that cause us gratification. Oh, I did that well. <laughs> I really did that well. And they could be things like pushing stuff away that we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. So so gratification is the, the pleasurable, emotional reaction of happiness in response to a fulfillment of a desire or a goal. Yeah, sounds good. It's a good thing. So, my picture of gratification it comes my mental picture comes from a movie um, where Michael Douglas was the star in the movie, and the movie was the American president and The conceit in the in the movie is that the president becomes attractive, t- attracted to a woman and he tries to date her. As you can imagine how horrible all the things that could happen so but it turns out he 's actually very shy about asking her out because it turns out it's not easy for the president to ask a woman out on a date and she doesn't of course believe it so he finally manages to ask her to some kind of public function and he gets off the phone he hangs it up and he closes his fist and he like you're going to pull do a pull up and he and he just he does this little pump you know where he pulls his elbow into his waist and he goes all right all right that worked that was good that was good that's gratification. You know, you can, if you know Michael Douglas, you can imagine him doing that. All right, okay, good. You know, when you to, ooh, that's gratification, that feeling of okay. You know, and, and it's it's sort of like you can conquer the world when you have that feeling. You just have this momentary, yes, right? So we all know what that feeling is. And we all know that there are things... So what the the Buddha particularly uh, talked about in the Sutta that we're going to talk about is is three forms of gratification. One being sense pleasures. And we we all know that. Taste, smell, sight, so on. Uh, The other is form, having to do with beauty, health. And the third is feelings. So these are the three areas that he talked about where he wanted to consider what are, what, what are the roles of gratification, what is the danger, and how do you escape the danger. All right, so... Um, now, when you, re- when you experience gratification, think of something that, that gives you gratification. This is a good thing, right? We're talking about pleasure. Is it always completely pleasurable? Is it always perfect when you feel gratification? I mean, somehow inherent to the gratification is a fear that it won't continue. Maybe a knowledge that it won't continue. Maybe there's a desire to make it go more or to have more of it. Or there is a sense of... I deserve this, I don't deserve this. There are all kinds of possibilities that arise out of this pleasure that we experience. And that's the first moment. So it's just the, the uh, kind of unabated attraction for, to gratification. Right. The second movement, if you will, is danger. What is the danger in happiness? or gratification, or something that makes us feel good. What's the danger? Being able to recognize that danger is what's going to be useful for us. So it isn't that we go around being suspicious of every pleasurable thing that happens in life. It is more that we are aware of the possibility of danger. So I'm, I'm, I'll give you an example. So when I come up here and I teach, I have a goal to say something that's going to be really useful to people. And if somebody comes up to me and says, "I really love that," I feel a sense of gratification. Now that's a that's a pleasurable thing. What do I do with that gratification? If I become very interested now in being the best Dharma teacher so that I will continue to get these positive statements and I start getting attached to the idea of praise or destroyed if somebody doesn't look happy, then I've moved away from my original intention and in fact the source of the gratification, which is to share the Dharma and moved into something else. So that's, that's the danger. So, so when we receive praise, how do we receive praise? What do we do with it? Where does our mind go? The reason we are looking at gratification, danger, and escape is to understand what the habits of mind are that we have around pleasure, around gratification. What are our habits of mind? We're not giving anything up. We're approaching this with a sense of curiosity. What can we learn about this? Because the next movement then is escape from danger. We can't escape from something if we don't know the source of it. If we, if we can't find it. You know, if, if you walk into a burning building, you know to run out of the building. in one of the in one of the suttas there the, the there is an example of uh, lepers who pick at their scabs and they 're trying to get rid of the itching and one of the things they do is hold themselves over a burning fire to kind of get rid of that over over charcoal and so a a, a healer comes in and heals them, gives them medicine, heals them of this. Uh this leprosy now they don't want to get anywhere near the fire because now they can feel it now now it has something that, that is threatening to them same action but now they're aware of it in that sense knowing how our mind works allows us to see oh this is possible this is possible if I know I'm very susceptible to praise that it's Maybe, maybe I grew up thinking nobody ever sees me. So if someone sees me, oh, I can get very entangled in that. So I need to know that. Because then I can keep from becoming entangled in it by remembering what my original intention is, by not responding to that habit of mind that I know so well. So that's the structure that we're looking at. Gratification, seeing the gratification seeing the danger and gratification, and escaping the danger. We're not escaping gratification. We're escaping the danger. So if you were looking at this, you could say, so so the phrase that that the Buddha used when he talked about escaping the danger is the removal of desire and lust. Sounds a lot like the craving thing, doesn't it? (laughs) sounds a lot like it. It's just another way of talking about it. So gratification invokes the second noble truth, uh, giving rise to craving. Danger is the truth of suffering itself, wherein is the suffering in something that brings us gratification. And escape is there can be an end to suffering and the path to the end of suffering, which are the third and fourth Noble truths. So it's not distinct from that. It's just another way of looking at the same the same thing. So, so the sutta that I I, I want to talk about is called the Mahadukkakanda Sutta. Love that Mahadukkakanda. So uh, it had to do with some monks that went out early on their alms alms rounds. And because they were early, they were too early to do this, they went and visited some other ascetics and Brahmins. And while they were just sitting around chatting with one another, these other monks said, well, what the Buddha teaches is no different than what we teach. And they said, "Hmm." And rather than responding, they, they took it back to the Buddha and said, okay, so this is what they say, They're, that what you teach is no different than what we teach. And he says, oh, but it's very different. And what is different about it is the full understanding of central pleasure as a gratifi- from the point of view of gratification, danger, and escape. So it isn't that pleasure is bad. It's what happens. What is it? So so he talks about uh, something like, he he takes the the case of uh, a a worker, a worker who has uh, a small business. And he works really hard doing whatever he's doing. And he's gratified by the success of this business. And what's the danger in that? And he gives several examples of where to find the danger and the gratification of his working hard. If he then is able to, uh, if he doesn't, if he's not successful, then suffering ensues. All of this work and I have nothing to show for it. We've certainly experienced that, right? I've been working, 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 working and I have nothing to show for it. This is, this is a danger, gratification of working hard and getting your job done, there is a danger that you're going to feel, you haven't met some expectation. And suffering comes from that. Or suppose you're very successful, and you buy a big house, and a really nice car, and you have a wonderful family, and you have children, and they're all going to the right schools, and they're very smart, and they're well-adjusted, And everything is beautiful, and you worry forever that you're going to lose all of that. All of it is subject to loss. It's a very frightening thing. It's a very frightening thing. Or you accumulate all of this, and you realize you're going to die, and then what happens? You don't get to take any of it. Not only that, your family and your cousins and your creditors are all going to fight over it. This is a danger. This is a danger. We're talking about good things from which bad things happen. You know, or or uh, we, there's a house close to where I live. It's a beautiful house. It's it's almost an estate. He has lots of outbuildings, and they're they're beautifully designed. The house has a all cherry wood floors it has a second floor part of which has a glass floor so that you can see through down below it has all built in cherry wood cabinets huge kitchen really beautiful house my husband and I have labeled this the mudita house this is an opportunity to practice sympathetic joy it's a lot better than envying (laughs) Uh, But it is a conscious change that we had about the way of looking at this house. These people built this house. They lived in it for two weeks and there was a massive Mount Vision fire and it burned it all down. Two weeks. Burned it all down. And they had to build it all over again. Now I didn't see it the first time. I saw it the second time. But you can imagine they put so much energy into this beauty and it was just gone. Okay. We also have a sense of ourselves, you know. We're we're healthy, we're vibrant, we move through the world in a certain way, and then we get old. And, you know, the knees don't work the way they used to. I've recently started a, a dance class just to get my body moving again. And there are these young lithe people in this class that, you know, I have to remind myself that I had my time. <laughs> and now this is my time. <laughs> this, is, this is the body I have now. And all of that has to do... I had a lot of, a lot of joy in, in the physical being of my youth. But if that's all that is me, if that gratification is the only way that I can feel good about me, there's a whole lot of life that's going to be unhappy. So that's the danger. That's the danger. And how do I escape that danger? I escape that danger by being aware of the tendency of my mind to say, this is the way it ought to be. And so when I can't quite get up the hill, I can say, okay, that's just how it is today. <laughs> I can't quite get up the hill. But it doesn't become a source of suffering. You know, my legs may hurt, but it doesn't become a source of suffering. Because I don't have that expectation, I don't. Be, I'm not entangled in that source of gratification. Okay. Now, I remember uh, sometime in my thirties, somebody took me to a horse race. Have you ever been to a horse race? Yeah, so the, I, will, I marveled at, the, at everything. You know, you, you come and the, there's the viewing of the animals and there's the reading of the racing form and then there's the placing of the bets and, and then there's the race and then there's the aftermath. Now, the race lasts about a minute and a half. It's really short. And there's a lot of stuff that happens around it. And you, you study the form and you read everything about it and you, you, know, you place a bet. For that minute and a half, I can assure you, nothing else is happening. <laughs> nothing. And the likelihood of winning on that bet, even if you do what I did, which was, you know, you, you place a bet to show, which means if they come in for a second or third, you can get a penny. I don't remember whether I won, but I remember the thrill. And I remember the, being engrossed in it. I remember the gratification of that. And I totally forgot all of the stressful things going on in my life. I was right there with that. It gave me a view into gambling addiction that I didn't know before. To see how my mind worked around that ap- episode Told me something about addiction I didn't know. How easy it is to become entangled in that thrill. There are many kinds of addiction. There's addiction to falling in love. You know about that one? I think I was I was addicted to falling in love when I was young. I would fall in love at the at the drop of a hat. It feels wonderful. There's thrilling, there's there's energy, there's uh, feeling that somebody cares about me and there's, there's a future and there are all kinds of things that get entangled in that, all of which were just fantasy, or most of which were fantasy. When I was, uh, about 10 years ago, my husband and I uh, decided to get married. <laughs> We'd been together for many years, 18 years, and we decided to marry. And we decided... Like the first of August, and his daughter was coming to town over Labor Day, so we had a month, and we decided to throw this together. And we we're going to—it was a very thrilling time. It was very romantic, very romantic. And several months before, I had signed up for a nine-day retreat in the middle of August, and I went on the retreat. It was very difficult to leave. I was so full of the romance and the energy of that, feeling, of that experience. It was a wonderful experience. And I walked out in the middle of it, and I really felt like I was missing my life. And I, uh, it was a, a retreat with Gil, and I said, you know, I really shouldn't be here. It's very hard for me to be on retreat and, and give it the, the energy that it deserves. And he said something that was very hard for me to hear or to hold or to allow. He said, how will you ever be able to handle losing him if you cannot leave him? Now, I was just getting married. I didn't want to talk about losing him. (laughs) But of course, we're all going to lose the ones we love for some reason if nothing else because we or they die we are always going to lose them and for me to be able to look at that and say this is okay was was hard but i think very important i think it was realizing the danger in this is beautiful it will last forever i will do anything to make this last forever And realizing it will not last forever. (laughs) And being able to stay present at the retreat and not be afraid of that. Not be afraid of that. To see that my mind wanted more than anything not to entertain that danger. And to allow the danger to be present, to stay there and see it, was a real gift. I still want my husband to be around forever. You know he's he's developing this real energy around his fishing. He's going to go out in his boat, and he's talking about going out the mouth of Tamales Bay, and it just people die there every year. And he says, Maria, that's because they don't pay attention to the tide. And I'm going, ay, 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 right? And I see the movement of my mind wanting to protect him, to protect myself. That's the danger. The happiness that I, the joy that comes out of my marriage is, also contains this fear of losing it. And the danger is becoming entangled in that. That's the source of suffering. If I can just be with it right here, right now, there's no suffering. So the escape is in letting go of the entanglement. Seeing the gratification, seeing the danger in the gratification, letting go of the entanglement. It's not letting go of the gratification. Seeing how one's mind works, enjoying what's true without holding on to it, without trying to recreate it, Now, the same is actually true of sadness, the same principles of gratification, danger, and escape. So how, how does that work? So suppose um, something happens, some, some sadness enters your life. And we say to ourselves, okay, I'm not going to let this sadness become what my life is about, and I'm going to be positive, and that sadness is just going to go over there and I'm going to be positive. And I'm going to go through my day with a positive attitude and here I am, I'm off, and I, it's working. But actually what I'm doing is denying that sadness. I'm saying, I'm pretending it's not there, I'm shoving it away. And it hasn't gone away. I'm just ignoring it. The danger in that Is that that is lurking there? That source of surface of suffering has not gone away. And my unwillingness to face it is a great danger. Because it will come up, it will be there, and it will bite me when I'm not looking, when I'm not protected. So, how do I escape that? by freeing myself of the entanglement of pretending it's not there. By facing it, by saying, ah, sadness. I don't have to roll around in it, but I do have to see it. I have to allow it to be true. I can't pretend it's not true. Therein lies delusion. So so how do we work with this? What do we do with it? You know, what's, what's the clue? So uh, when, I, 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 when I was preparing for this talk, I looked up gratification on the Internet. And the first thing you find has to do with timeliness of gratification. So short-term versus long-term gratification, phew, there's a lot about that. What's important about that has to do with some of the research that's been done. Have you heard of the marshmallow test that was done at Stanford with small children? Okay, so for those of you who haven't heard it, what they did was take children who were between four and six years old, put them in a room with a marshmallow, and they told them, if you leave that marshmallow there until I come back, I'll give you another marshmallow, and you'll have two marshmallows. So it has been reprodu- reproduced over and over again. A third of the people can wait 15 minutes. For you to come back and give them another marshmallow, two thirds of the people, children, two thirds of the children, can't wait. They'll stuff the marshmallow in their mouth as soon as you leave the room. Sometimes they do something else to distract themselves. The people who, the children who do not eat the marshmallow, turn out to be people who, uh, in later life, enjoy other forms of success. They get higher SAT scores, you know, they do, they, they, the measures of success you can quarrel with, but basically they become very functional in society. And one of the theories around this is what the children do to keep from eating that marshmallow gives them some mental reinforcement that allows them to delay gratification in favor of something else. And the mental Tricks that they learn. They can actually—all of the children, by the way—can be trained not to eat the marshmallow. They can't all be trained, but most, <laughs> some of them can be trained. They can improve the performance of delayed gratification by by giving them tricks. Don't look at the marshmallow. <laughs> um, do some. Think about something else. There, there was this this video I saw of this young girl who kept smelling the marshmallow. She wasn't eating it, but she was smelling it. And she went about 14 minutes, and she ate the inside. <laughs> Left the outside, with the hopes that nobody would notice. I, I don't know where she falls on the success scale. So. Uh, but we all do that. You know, we, all, we, have, we all have these coping things that we do with things that we really want. So one of the functions of it, looking at gratification, the danger, and escape, is that we can, in fact, build up our ability to escape the danger. But we can only build it up if we're paying attention and we see how our mind works. So, um, so I have a question. How many people in here have ever flirted? Flirted. You know the art of flirting? Have you ever flirted? Yeah? yeah. Pretty much everybody has flirted. Richard hasn't flirted, but everybody else has flirted. Okay, so so what is flirting? Why do people flirt? Any ideas? Getting one's attention. You get attention, right. You get attention. Usually it's favorable attention, but not always. And um, you know, when we think about flirting, we usually think about it in terms of developing our uh, sexual awareness. There's there's something very sexy about flirting. It, it shows itself then. But you know, we start we start flirting as children. You know, how many of you have ever held a kid, and held a piece of something up in front of him like this, right? And say, "Where's Duncan? Oh, there's Duncan!" Right. That's flirting. It's, it's that grabbing someone's attention. And what happens? Everybody laughs and they smile. This is really great. And when you're, when you're playing a game like that, there is this element of play, and play is a good thing, and it's gratifying. Except when it's not. And anybody who's ever flirted has probably also experienced some kind of negative things that come from flirting like someone misinterprets your intention, or you're flirting with somebody all the time and then you don't flirt with them one day and they're hurt, or you're hurt, or uh, the the flirting leads to something that was beyond your intention, or it doesn't work, you're trying to get someone's attention and you think, I'm a failure. (laughs) There are all kinds of dangers in this simple little act of gratification that is play, until it's no longer play. And how do we escape that? You know, is flirting dangerous? Yeah, actually it is. Is it fun? Usually. Do we have to stop doing it? No. Every time you make eye contact with someone and, you know, give them a little come-hither look or wink at them, this is flirting. And there's joy in that. It's not a bad thing. But to be aware of, like any form of speech, that something, that there is danger inherent in that, that it can be misinterpreted, that you can misinterpret it, that you can start thinking, you know i know i can get that person to smile and you start believing that you have power over people and you get kind of sucked into that sense of power from flirting you know, from play and you do that you know and it it becomes it's that entanglement the danger of entanglement so we so we want to let go of that not let go of the pleasure, let go of the entanglement. Try to see it. So how do you work with that? Do you know what your mind does when you deny what you want? What happens if you say, okay, I really want to do that thing, but I'm not going to do it. What happens to your mind? Do you know? Have you tried it? Try it. Find out what the movement of your mind is. Does it go toward self-pity? Does it go toward pride? I can do this. Does it go toward confusion? What does your mind do? Know it. Learn this. Because if you learn this about yourself, you can't unknow it. And then you can see the danger. But you have to know that it's there. Give up something you believe you are not attached to and see what happens. So, I like to play solitaire. I used to play solitaire with cards. I now play solitaire on the computer. And when I think I'm wasting my time, which is almost always, I'll stop. But you know what? I haven't taken the game off the computer. That's interesting to me. So I'm really studying that. Why can't I just take the game off the computer? If it doesn't matter, why don't I take it off? You know, we're we're very familiar in cases of addiction. We know, we all know, very carefully, if, if, if somebody is an alcoholic, they should never touch a drink. And it, this is a case where it feels very clear. We know the danger. We know how to escape it. This is what you do. What we're not so clear on are all the little addictions in our lives that may actually be big addictions that we're just not aware of, where we are so entangled in this, this source of gratification that we can't quite get, can't let go of it. Another thing is to notice how long gratification lasts. Have you ever had the experience of really wanting something for a long time? You finally get it. How long is the gratification? You know, it kind of depends on what it is. So you know, suppose you want to buy a new car and you know just what you want, and you get the money, you buy the car, you're ready, you're in the car, everything is golden, I love being in this car, and how long does that last? Probably not as long as it took you to save the money to get the car. Nothing wrong with the car, car's great. You know, I like my car a lot, I've been driving it eight years, it's very comfortable, it's a lovely car. But I don't feel like it the way I did the day I drove it off the lot. But when somebody comes to me and says, you know, it's time for you to get, you know, you should drive a Prius because this demonstrates your eco-consciousness. And I say, you know, but I like my car and I own it. (laughs) So I get pleasure from my car. I'd get pleasure from a new car. I'd probably get a certain kind of pleasure from having a more echo-conscious car. But should I spend all that money so that people think that I'm echo-conscious? <laughs> or should I manage the way I drive my car? Which is true eco consciousness right? So these, these are tricks. Notice how long the satisfaction is. Discover your reactions. To praise and blame, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute, gain and loss. These are called the eight winds. These are the things that blow us around. How do you react to loss? What is your experience of loss and what is your relationship to loss? You know, I remember uh, those of us who are retirement age, when, when, uh, when, the, when the markets all crashed in 2008, there was a lot of fear in the world. Really, a lot of fear. Uh, and I was, I was definitely afraid. And um, watching that, and watching the reaction to that, was a very important window into my mind. and and in that case what i discovered is it wasn't until i allowed loss to be true that it stopped having a hold on me that the suffering changed so all of us have experienced all kinds of loss in our lives many forms of loss loss of relationship loss of children Loss of jobs, loss of lovers, loss of money, loss of our favorite coffee cup, lots of loss. When you lose that coffee cup, notice how your mind moves. Because it's easier to look then, than when you've just lost your mother. It's easier to look. So the purpose of this teaching is to look at when you feel gratification see what dangers lie there, watch the movement of your mind. Escape from those dangers through the knowledge of how it works and letting go of the entanglement. That's the end of suffering. Letting go of the entanglement. Neurologically, we train ourselves with every choice we make, with every decision we make. We reprogram our ba- brains. That's what we're talking about doing. It's the approach to life that will allow us to free ourselves from habits of pattern. If you're, if you're going to have habits of mind, patterns of behavior, try to set them up in a way that doesn't cause suffering. It seems so obvious But mostly we've gone through life not being aware of it. And so we have all these patterns, these ways that we react. How could this have happened to me? Right? It's an automatic reaction. If we give in all the time to gratification, we're going to be like a wire that we keep bending, keep bending, keep bending. It's going to lose its resilience. And when we most need it, it's going to break. So, while I said this wasn't about renunciation, the exercise of giving up something you want is a good exercise. It's a good way to practice. It's a good way to know how you can build resilience in yourself so that when something comes along that you don't have a choice about, you have a choice how you react. We do not want to base our happiness, our peace of mind, on things that are impermanent, that go away. This is most of our conditioned reality. We want to retain our ability to see clearly, to make choices, and not be at the ha- at the mercy of habits that don't provide satisfaction, but just temporary gratification. To escape, we must be able to hold things lightly. We must know how to let things go. We must be willing to not rely on gratification. So I urge you to practice. Now, because this feels a little low energy, what did I do with this book? I would like to read you a poem that's about that. This is a, um, a David Budbill poem, and it's called Sometimes. When day after day we have cloudless blue skies, warm temperatures, colorful trees and brilliant sun, when it seems like all this will go on forever. When I harvest vegetables from the garden all day, then drink tea, and doze in the late afternoon sun, and in the evening one night make pickled beets and green tomato chutney, the next night red tomato chutney, the day after that pick the fruits of my arbor and make grape jam. When we walk in the woods every evening over fallen leaves through yellow light, when nights are cool and days warm. When I am so happy I'm afraid I might explode or disappear or something might be taken away from all this. At those times when I feel so happy, so good, so alive, so in love with the world, with my own sensuous, beautiful life, suddenly... I think about all the suffering and pain in the world, about all those people being tortured in my name, but I still feel happy and good, alive and in love with the world, and with my lucky, guilty, sensuous, beautiful life, because I know in the next minute or tomorrow all this may be taken from me, and therefore I've got to say right now what I feel and know and see, I've got to say right now how beautiful and sweet this world can be. In recognizing gratification, we recognize it. We're aware of the danger. We escape by not being entangled. We don't stop enjoying life. May I, you all be happy. Thank you.